Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. New Amsterdam Radio, presented by SeatGeek, the official ticket partner of the podcast. Use promo code FLOBITO for $20 off. But you're not about that. You're about this. Another episode, a bonus episode of New Amsterdam Radio comes at you this week. And this week, we're sitting down with Linda Freeney. She is the author of books such as The Talks of Lenin and Nobody's Angel. And she is on the cusp of really getting some buy-in for her work. I know a lot of authors listen to the show and they're trying to find ways to take their work to the next level. You sweat, you slaved over your manuscript. Uh, what does it mean when you get a little bit of that good feedback? What's next step? I think Linda's in a perfect position to really be that bridge uh, to help out uh, with the next step development on that side. So you're going to enjoy that episode. But first, as always, thank you so much for making New Amsterdam Radio part of the podcast diet. Learn more at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W-Amsterdam.com. And I'm not what I said about SeatGeek. It's really awesome. Promo code will be to $20 off your first order. But Enough about me rambling about things. Now it's time for the bonus edition of New Am Sam Radio this week. My chat with Linda Freeney. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creators, thinkers, and doers. It is I, the mayor, Global Boys, in the mayor's office, speaking with those who are doing the thing. And the thing is a line of fantastic novels. Please welcome my guest on this episode, Linda Freeney. How's it going? It's going good. I, you know, I met Ray about a couple of years ago, and I think you know Ray, and he's been very helpful in, in my career. And uh, writers, especially those who self-publish, like I've been doing, uh, are great target. Scam yeah. artists are like flies out there. And I warn any 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 writer out there that's going to self-publish: wait for the phone to ring, and first thing they want is money. Yeah, and nothing I for it. I've uh, gone through that myself. I think it's a rite of passage for a lot of uh, self-published self authors, but uh, thankfully you're on the other side. Uh, your body of work has grown to a critical acclaim. We were talking about that before we went live. I mean, that must be great to have, you know, starting basically your platform, you're on your own and having people loving your work. Yeah, and like I said, the characters are all important to me, and they will guide me through the through the work. And because I want I want to read the story as well as I'm writing it. And sometimes, um, like I wrote a mystery called Nobody's Angel, which is another one that Ray may be working on. Um, is is uh, I didn't know to the very end who who really did it. I I actually put tons of clues in, and then when I got to the end, I finally decided, and and then when I could go back, put the right clues in. And, it was like right reading the book while I'm writing. It was wonderful. So let's talk and about the nobody. Is, uh, nobody's angel. Yeah, yeah let's it, talk about it's about angel. a. It's a. It's about a detective. He finds this girl in the alley, uh, dead of an overdose, and just something familiar about her that he won't pass it off just as a, an OD. And um, it goes back to his past. Uh, the girls from his hometown, a very small hometown, where he was seduced by an older woman, and lots of characters in there. One of the reviews said, "Every time you think you know who did it, you're wrong," <laughs> and that's because it's the way I wrote it. Because I didn't know to the very end either. 
I, I made it that way. Crazy way to write. Nobody, nobody writes that way. Right. Well, that was my next question. When it comes down to a concept like that, a crime mystery, twists and turns, you think about the, the story first and try to see what characters will react to that the best, or you character first and think about the story afterwards? Get the characters first so that they can help lead me the way. And then uh, each chapter is is its own story in a way. And as I, as I go along, um, the story goes along. I don't have an outline like a lot of them do, storyboards and all of that. I don't follow any of the rules, mm -hmm. but it works for me. It would, probably wouldn't work for anybody else, but it, it works great for me. What? When you sat down and decided to make a gripping thriller, uh, we know crime pieces are pretty much in vogue these days. What was your approach to come up with a story that was that was engaging as well as being fresh and different? Well, that would go back to the Dogs of Lennon because it's, it is so timely and it's a political thriller. So uh, and it's about media bias, which is a lot of that out there right now. And um, one of the characters is, is hateful towards the media. The other one wants to be in the media. And uh, it's, it's a love story within a, a plot. I mean, the love story carries it, but it's not all about the love story because I wrote it in three parts, one part about him, one part about her, one part about them together. And one of the compliments that I had from one of the reviews I got was I was able to leave Lisa out of the book for at least 200 pages and you still thought about her and you were ready for her to come back when she came back. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was something I didn't even realize I had done. So you talked about the Dogs Lennon first, and that was released first. Uh, and you were saying before we went live that it was kind of timely when you wrote it, but now it's still as relevant as it was uh, when it was released. Talk to me a little bit more about that, the way we are approaching these books as readers today. Well, yeah, because it is timely, even though it was written during the, the Cold War era, because, I mean, some of the things that are happening in my book or happened in my book. Are, are starting to happen again today in a different form, in a different way, a different time. But it's still happening and it's gonna get worse. But you know, at least uh, I didn't envision how bad it would get. But uh, so there's, there's a sequel there if I decided to do one because I didn't give it the happy forever after ending. I, I don't believe that life was that uh, a temptation to give it a Hollywood ending or it was kind of like, no, this is where the character stories went? No, it was where they uh, get back together, but he doesn't trust her because she's still part of the media. She doesn't trust him because he's become as bad as the media he hated because he started to be just as bad as they are, make up stories just for the hell of it sometimes because it made good stories. And so they're just not ready, uh, but I leave it up in the air. I don't want to give away the ending, but no, please don't. Uh, oh. where it could, it could happen, but you know, that's, that's for people to decide. They could decide if their own mind, if they want those two to get back together, they can do that or not. So when creating I left a so open. So we're creating a period piece with, with such, uh, a factual backstory. Uh, talk to me about the world building aspect. I mean, there is what actually happened is a little bit of dramatic license, but what's been your journey in balancing the two and creating this world behind the Dogs of Lennon? Well, I was born and raised in England. So a part of the book is, is in England because I, I put one of the, the, at least of the character in England for a while. 
And um, it was just something, the one question everybody asks every ride, and I'm sure they can answer it, but I can't. Uh, they say, how did you get the idea for the book? I don't have a damn clue. It just was there, and it just came, and once it started, it just kept going. Yeah. That's and it. When it was released, what were, what were some of the things that the readers were saying uh, specifically about the book, how they felt when they were going through that story and journey? Yeah, because I said I could do it in three parts. So the first part is how she goes, her journey where she becomes very famous in the media, and his journey where he joins an, an activist group that was a leftover from uh, a previous government, which actually did happen. Uh, mm -hmm. and, um, and I use real names when I could. And so... Um, so in his the chapter about him is how he's climbing within the organization that he joined to become even a part of it. And then he, he has all, all the clues and everything he needs to um, out these Russians that have been planted here since World War II. But now he needs her because he, nobody's going to believe him because he's an activist and he's a pain in the butt, quite frankly, you know, to, to the media and everybody else. So he needs her help to help out the, the people that he's found. And she, and she does, and thinks it will ruin her career. Instead, it makes it better. So you had mentioned that, that, there, that there was elements of story that you could have incorporated in Dolls of Lennon, but your next book was a whole different universe in, in Nobody's Angel. Uh, what was the, 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 the motivation to go to a whole new uh, world and start with a whole new set of characters of continuing the story there? Well, because of when I was growing up in England, uh, I used to read a lot of mysteries, um, a lot of the mysteries. And I started with the mysteries. The Dogs of Lennon is, is a doll by itself. Uh, it's a political thriller, like I said, but it's, it's not my usual mysteries. I have wrote three other mysteries, Deja Vu, and But You Can't Hide, and Nobody's Angel. And I wrote from my mystery uh, of reading it. Like I said, I never took a lesson. I learned from others. And when I read, Alec Higgins, her name is, uh, was the writer in England. When I f could find out who done it from her perspective, I figured I was ready to write my own because it, as long as she could fool me, I couldn't write one. But then when she couldn't fool me anymore, then I started to write mysteries. So mysteries actually came first. It's just the dogs of Lennon was because it was so timely. It was marketed first, and I've yeah. got uh, I've got seventeen scripts. I've got romantic uh, comedies. I've got a western. I've got uh, thrillers. Uh, I've got um, crazy. I've got all, everything except sci-fi. I can't stand sci-fi because I don't understand it. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because when I was growing up, I didn't like westerns being from New York, but that was my first novel because I had to say, I have to write something really? I don't like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I enjoyed the, I only done one, but it was a script. I haven't done a book about it, but I, I really enjoyed it. I'd love to watch westerns. I mean, you know, I, I wish they made more. Right. So right. That's what my husband and I watch, basically, you know, Virginian and things like that. So. I have a lot of. Have you seen the cover? Yes, I have. I have. My 14-year-old grandson did the cover. Oh, that's cool. Keeping the family. Just, yeah. just from, uh, you know, describing the book. And um, my husband gave it the title because my original title was Media, but he said this will be better. And the whole idea is the fact that 
America is being led like like sheep by the Russians. And that was why it's called the Dance of Lenin, because like the, the Lenin's leading the Americans and they didn't even know they were being had. Mm -hmm. So and and they're still being had. So that's why and I did a forward to the book and I said that, you know, what's happening today could be happening now and probably is. Uh, I had the pleasure of checking out the book trailer for Dogs of Lenin right. and also Nobody's Angel, but we can talk about uh, Dogs of Lenin first. Yeah. And it must have been interesting to see your characters come to life there. They truly did come to life. They really did. And uh, one of the reviews I had on it, I've never had a bad review, but uh, the, one of the reviews said that I allowed Lisa to be her own person. Now, I didn't realize that I was doing that, but somebody was you know, able to, to see that, that I actually let her be who she wanted to be. She was very strong. Oh, yeah. And he was too, and he was too. But they never loved anybody else or could love anybody else. And that was the part of the story because it was a doomed love affair. It was never meant to actually happen, probably because they were so damn different, but they could never be good with anybody else in their whole life. One of the cool things, though, I, I would say that to be an author with no bad reviews, that must be very inspiring. <laughs> you know? That was pretty cool. Yeah, no, and, uh, I haven't had a, one bad review. And them all, they've all been great. I, it's amazing. When I read them, I can't believe that they, I find things about myself that, that, I, that I did that I wasn't even really conscious of. Yeah. Can we one also... woman had, had made the go ahead, sorry. No, no, I cut you off there. You were saying. Yeah, one woman had made the remark, one of the reviewers had said that she wasn't around during the Cold War, and so she was glad to learn about the Cold War. So it was also educational in some respect. Because it had some history to it. And and you mentioned that you spent a lot of time researching elements there. What was that like? Was it like a straight on researching as you write these chapters? You take time off to get the facts and then write around it? Like what's the writer's process there? No, I I researched it first and took down all the names and anything that would actually make a good story, but I needed to get like this real names in there, Nixon, Reagan, you know, Clinton, all there's some real names in there that I wanted to make sure that I got it accurate. So I, I researched the characters I was going to probably using as an example. And I, forgive me, I don't know what's happened to my voice. My husband says I've lost it. I don't know what the hell happened to it, but I, I doesn't even, it doesn't even sound like me when I hear me. <laughs> I get that same feeling too when I hear myself recorded. I totally get you. I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, he, he says it's like a, I don't know, it's stringing, but whatever. Yeah, so I did, I did do a, a lot before, before I was ready to put it on paper. And that way I knew I was ready and I could, you know, refer to the characters and not have somebody come up later and, and they never have and said, gee, that wasn't true. That never happened because I made sure that wouldn't happen. When I look at the book trailer for Nobody's Angel, a uh, different feeling and vibe altogether. This is a very gritty New York, and there is, you know, there is a dead body in the first chapter, first scene. Uh, what was that like, seeing that aspect of, of one of your novels come to life, seeing the gruesome side of what you created in your mind? It was it was good. I mean, it was more, than, again, about the characters, because he was, he was so... Uh, sure that he should have known who she was and that was why he wouldn't give it up as a, a straight overdose and when he found out that she was from his hometown 
and it turned out that she was actually uh, the daughter of the older woman who had seduced him when he was 16. So uh, he, you know, he, and then he realized that the murder, which started in New York, actually probably didn't happen in New York. It probably happened in that small town because she definitely was murdered. Mm -hmm. he, he establishes that. Yeah. It's not and a suicide or an overdose. But the trailer must have been interesting to see that as well for another book of yours. Yeah, and then, you know, I, I, I did one called Deja Vu, and it was the same thing. It was based, the only thing I had based on that, there was a, a couple in, in my hometown that they were found dead in bed, and nobody seemed to know, like, what happened, you know, and it was very close to where I lived. And I just used that as a start, and that was the only thing I had when I started. Yeah. But I solved it. <laughs> they never did solve it, by the way. You know, I, I ask a lot of our, our guests who are authors about the, the process of creating a character only to put them through the ringer with challenges. Uh, what's been your approach? Do you get, like, nervous when you have to put a character in a dangerous situation? Is it an odd sensation? Yeah, my characters are challenged because they're challenging me and I challenge them back. So, I mean, yeah, they really do. I know in one book that I wrote, um, it's an older book and I probably never would really put out there, but it was um, this this guy suddenly uh, offed himself, you know, and, and I'm sitting back from the computer and I go, God, I didn't know I was going to do that. It was really weird because it just came out. It's not, it's not a great book, so it probably never be out there. You have to learn somewhere. Like I said, I never took a lesson. I learned by doing. So let's take a step back here. So at what point did you realize that writing was your craft and path? And what was your, your schooling like? If you're self-taught, what was your... When did you realize you graduated in that story? Well, I was born and raised in England. So, and I, I was a mystery fan. And... um. I'm a, I'm a businesswoman. I have a real estate industry that I'm in. And um, you have to have something that you're good at. And I was always good at English in, in class and stuff like that. Hated math. I couldn't add up two and two. But, um, yeah, so I, I could find that this is something I could work at and do. I still make grammatical errors, but, you know, I'm not perfect. Well, who is, really? Um, well, maybe you are. No, not at all. <laughs> my editing staff, uh, it's overworked by the first drafts I create when I make my books happen. Uh, and, and so when you decided that this is what you wanted to do and you put full bore into your ideas and characters, was there a moment where you felt like you arrived uh, as like you know, on the Pantheon? Did you feel like, hey, look, you could put me next to a Stephen King or a Joe Hill in the book? Like, is that a level of confidence that come in after a while? Not really. No, I mean, I never put myself on that kind of a platform. I did go to writers' uh, workshops uh, in Santa Barbara for about five years, and I won some awards up there for screenwriting and also some comedy and stuff. So I was around other writers, and you learned a lot from that. Just like until I, until I wrote, I, I never cussed a word. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a cusser. All of a sudden, the F word was easy. You know, because everybody in class said it, you know. <laughs> right, right. So it comes out in the book. I mean, people do it, you know. Yeah. I, I, but I learned that 
yeah, from being around people that just spoke that way. And I suddenly realized as I was listening to other people writing that, you know, they were more real. So that was, if I said I didn't have any lessons, yeah, that was a lesson, but it wasn't pure lesson, but that's how I, I got it from being real. In, and around in your, people who were. In, in your opinion, what's missing from novels today? What's missing from, from, from bodies of work today? Um, I think it's, I've, I've had some books that I can put down halfway or sometimes more than halfway and sometimes less. I, I think it's hard to keep somebody as interested to read the whole thing. I mean, some people take years to read a book or weeks at least, you know. And I, I think a story about a good book is you start it, you finish it because you can't wait. And right. so that's what I achieved to do because that's, like I said, I've read a lot of half books because they just didn't get me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want, I want people to get it. With your, your process, what's it look like after a manuscript is done? Do you have a small circle of test readers? Do you send it to your editor directly in a one B one relationship? What's it look like when you're finished a, a first draft of a story? I used to, when I first started to write, uh, I had, she's a romance writer now, she's kind of famous, but um, she uh, she used to read my stuff and to help me, you know, sometimes with the grammar and stuff like that. And she was very good at, at doing that. Um, but then after that, I just did my own thing. Editing is terrible. I mean, writing is wonderful, but when you go to edit, you know, not only do you find that, that you can't halfway spell sometimes, is is the fact that you know uh, you're going over the old thing and it's not new anymore, but you got to edit because if you don't, it'll just be a piece of garbage, you know. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't have anybody edit for me. I, I have suggestions, but I do my own editing. Oh, absolutely! But do you have like a small like test of readers? Like, do you like hand off to family members, or do you go to your your team and go, "What do you guys think of this"? I, yeah, people I work with and some of my family, uh, my uh, daughters and granddaughters, I've had read my stuff and, and they, they helped me with that by saying that they liked it. I mean, they don't help me write it, but they, they do help. They say they liked it. And oh. people that say they can't put it down, you know, I mean, that to me is the, is the greatest compliment. If you can't put a book down, then it's good. Right. Unfortunately, I haven't read one lately, so I'm still looking for that one. Oh, it's always good when you, when even as an artist, you create the world, you create the characters, having that little opening of collaboratory efforts. I mean, that way you can always see what you guys think, test it in lab, and then tweak if need be. So it's always cool about that. And your body of work does speak for yourself. I'm at your uh, Amazon page right now, and it's a parade of five stars, especially with uh, Dogs of Lennon being uh, really impressionable for a lot of people, and it's still relevant today. And that's kind of, to me, the, the difficulty from my end, creating stuff that resonates with people today and in the future so i mean you don't need me to tell you this but i'm impressed that's awesome a really good thing to have <laughs> well i went in recently not only recently actually and just find the dogs and and i was amazed how much i mean there's about three pages on the dogs in there some of its reviews some of it's just a lot of but i was i was surprised they really picked that up so and i'm happy for with that 
And just from just from the 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 getting the name out there, a marketing aspect, the book trailers are out. We just talked about those a minute ago. It, has that been a, going to be a part of of your strategy moving forward? I feel like they're very engaging. I got me into the world without even reading a single page. Uh, these book trailers are going to be more for your books down the line. Yeah, I think it, it gives people an idea, uh, you know, a better idea. I don't always agree with the trailers. Um, I think I might have done it a little different, but, you know, basically they get it. I know recently I had somebody that was trying to recruit me to do uh, something with my books who I didn't use, obviously. Um, and they wanted to hire a professional screenwriter as well. I, I, I've got 17 scripts and I've converted all my books to scripts. I know how to do that. I don't need someone to do that for me. Besides, I don't think they'd be as good with it because uh, I just lost that thing in my ear. Um, I don't think they know the characters as well as I do, so I, I don't want someone to do that for me. Do you Nothing. enjoy one aspect more than the other? Do you enjoy screenwriting over, over prose or, or no? Or? Depends on my mood. Uh, I, I quit screenwriting, went back to the novels because I found that I could get more more absorbed in that. But I did do for a while because rom-coms were, you know, coming the big thing, and I did a few rom-coms. But, there, you know, that's it's it's slap happy. You can't really get too deep in that. You're trying to make people get a little giggle, but you you know it's not it's not real writing. I don't think. Right. I don't right. watch a lot of rom coms. <laughs> do you do that? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean I, the thing is when it comes down to writing, because I also granted my 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 bibliography isn't as uh, thorough as yours, but I have eight books in total in four screenplays, so a little bit smaller. Uh, I tend to go spite first, so I go the genres I don't like. And I'll write it as if I did my remix version. So I have a neo-Western, I have romantic comedies, I have a sports film, I have a religious film. Not because I'm religious, but because I go, hey, religious films have this, 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 I would change. Let me try that. So it's always cool to see which one's better for you, which one you enjoy more, because I know they have different skills that you need to do for each of those. Can you send me one or can I get one? I'd like to read your stuff. Oh, sure, yeah. If, if, let me know what you want to say. Uh, fiction, nonfiction, screenplays, why not? I could definitely send it to you. <laughs> fiction. fiction. If <laughs> you, you do fiction, it. you do. I do. Okay, send me, yeah, send me that, I, and, and then I'll tell you if I can read it in one setting, and then you'll know. Absolutely. That's definitely, that's going to be the challenge. You're going to hear it back here at New Amsterdam Radio, whether or not it, the book gets finished. <laughs> uh, Linda, it's been a pleasure hanging with you, talking about your books. Uh, when everyone wants to engage with you or contact you, how do they go about doing that? Um, I have an email, um, L, oh, well, let me give you the other one. Linda J, like John Freeney, F-R-E-E-N-Y, at gmail.com. Uh, this is uh, New Amsterdam Ray, the podcast for creatives. Thank you so much. And I want to have you back, especially when we see uh, the Dawson Lennon miniseries or the Nobody's Angel comic book. I know these two properties are going to be huge for you, and I get to be on the ground floor. Thank you, and it's been a treat to meet you. And don't, don't renege on me. Send me something. Okay? <laughs> I definitely will. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours.